This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. We have a very special guest, Christopher Thornburg. Christopher founded Beacon Economics uh, LLC in 2006. Under his leadership, the firm has become one of the most respected research organizations in California, serving public and private sector clients across the United States. In 2015, Dr. Thornburg also became director of the UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting and Development and an adjunct professor at the school. An expert in economic and revenue forecasting, regional economics, economic policy and labor and real estate markets, Dr. Thornburg has consulted for private industry, cities, counties, and public agencies up and down the West Coast and other geographies across the nation. Recent and ongoing projects include housing and rent control studies for the California Apartment Association and an economic impact study for 2024 LA Olympic Game Committee. Dr. Thornburg is a contributor to monthly economic polls published by the Wall Street Journal and Reuters. He also serves as a chair of the California Chamber of Commerce Economic Advisory Council, is on the board of directors for the LA Area Chamber of Commerce, is an executive member of the city, Central City Association, LA, and is a member of the California Association for Local Economic Development. A well-known media commentator, Dr. Thornburg has appeared on CNN and NPR, and is, a regular, is regularly quoted in major national dailies, including Wall Street Journal and New York Times. Originally from upstate New York, Dr. Thornburg holds a PhD in business economics from the Anderson School at UCLA and a BS degree in business administration from the State University of New York at Buffalo. And I want to just mention that he's one of my favorite guests because I get to ask him stuff I don't know. And I don't do that very often because I don't want to any, put anybody in a position where they're embarrassed. I don't think I could think of a question that you wouldn't have a, a good a good take on. So thanks for joining us again. I appreciate it. Uh, Bruce, that was a wonderful introduction. Too long, I would say. Uh, <laughs> one mild correction, if I may. It's oh, the sure. 2028 Olympic Committee, because as you remember, we got put off by four years for the uh, so ah. parents to get first bite at the apple. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that intro. Um, what prompted uh, starting Beacon? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Before that, I was working with the UCLA forecast. And uh, I remember in early 06, I had an interesting conversation with my boss at the time. And I said, I thought real estate was a bubble. It was going to pop and create a mess. And he told me I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> it was about that point in time, I recognized that um, ultimately, if I'm going to have my own opinions, I needed to have my own company. And uh, that's where I am. Here I am uh, 16 years later. We got 20 people. We do all sorts of stuff, as you noted. And it's been a fun ride. And uh, I've been able to be true to myself, be true to my my outlooks. And if I may, I've been uh, pretty right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. Well, that, you know, you know so to be we'll honest go. with you, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake right now. Oh yeah. And so it's kind of fun to have this discussion because a lot of it hasn't occurred yet. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um, I like to tell people that from, I don't know, after the big calls of the great recession, both the downturn and the recovery, 
uh, forecasting got really boring for about six, seven years. Uh, most of the most of my forecasting in the latter part of last decade, most of my forecast could be boiled down to no, really, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really, that was it. No, it's fine. It's fine. That's all I said because we kept we kept inventing crises that didn't actually exist. Now, you know what's interesting is is I'm a little bit of a smarter economist now. You know, I've been I've been reading some books a, a, a little bit more about what we might want to call human thinking and how it interrelates with the overall economy. And, you know, you go back to that period of time where we kept inventing crises, and I would call it miserabilism, this tendency to constantly tell ourselves how terrible everything is, when in fact it's not. Well, it turns out that that was not a trite observation, nor was it, shall we say, singular to the last decade. Uh, Robert Schiller, the Nobel Prize winning economist, wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago now called Narrative Economics. And he makes a simple point, which when you think about it, makes total sense. Um, first of all, data has been around for not even 100 years. Data analytics, data analysis has been around for, you know, in any substantial way in the last 50, since we had enough computing power to deal with all this data. Whereas the stories we tell ourselves have been going on since the dawn of civilization, since the dawn of self-awareness. We are story-based creatures. And the history of economic business cycles is a history of when the story, the narrative, becomes substantially disengaged from basic economic realities. Absolutely. On both sides, high and low. That's exactly, exactly right. And, and it drives all sorts of important changes in an economy. It drives all sorts of, of policy decisions, for better or for worse. And, of course, what it helps us understand is A, why we kept telling ourselves how terrible everything was when it wasn't. And then equivalently, when things did get a little rough in 2020, when of course the pandemic hit, we took what was clearly a, a serious, shall we say, human condition, a human problem, that is to say, this pandemic, but we, we basically turned it into a depression-causing crisis mm -hmm. in our minds. Now, what's interesting about this is it, you know, right from the get-go, when the pandemic hit, I said, I, I know this is serious. I know the numbers are big. I know it's scary. But the history of humanity is littered with these kind of events. And there's no evidence that they cause depressions. None. In fact, depressions are, are basically recessions with deflation thrown on top. Right? Right. That's, that's what a depression is. Mm -hmm. Not anything having to do with pandemics. So the question is, is why did we suddenly decide that this one was going to cause a depression? And when I say we, I'm not talking about humans in general. I'm talking about my profession, economists. Because, you know, one of the things here about the narrative world is economists are supposed to be the antidote. The problem is we're not. <laughs> economists are the worst. When yeah, it you're you're supposed to only look at statistics, not yeah. emotion, but you got right in there. <laughs> and, and, they, and they're all about this. this they're, they're just about as much as the narrative is as... Everybody in, in Washington, D.C., or everybody in Wall Street, as the case may be. And so they ran around telling these ridiculous scare stories. Did they believe it? Did they just want to get into the headlines? What were their motivations? Couldn't tell you. But what they did was set off one of the most outrageous uses of stimulus this nation has ever seen. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, they, they did the equivalent of, of just giving our, our economy in a massive uh, a dose of a stimulant called cash 
And what's what's interesting is you think about where we are today with the ridiculous claims that we're about to fall under recession. Uh, when when you look at the economy with anything resembling an, an objective eye, our economy right now is clearly overheated, clearly overheated. And we're, we're, this economy is straining at capacity. Unemployment's at three point six percent. Industrial production at an all time high level. The trade deficit is now five percent of GDP. This economy is vastly overheated. And yet we're sitting around panicking about a recession. That's interesting. Not, yeah, it's 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 an interesting world. Now, mind you, I, I do think we're going to have a recession, but it's not the next 12 months, Bruce. Not the okay. next 12 months. Okay. And that's because people have got a several trillion dollars of excess money to say I can go through that first. Several trillion? Let me let me let me let me correct that modestly. Okay. <laughs> so Basically, we saw something on the order of seven trillion in fiscal stimulus, five trillion dollars in quantitative easing. That cash being thrown at the economy caused financial markets to jump like crazy. Home prices up 35 percent. Stock market got to the second highest P.E. ratio ever, with the exception of early 2000. Um, Well, that all that excess financial market, if you will, money poured back into households. And here's the big number. In two years, Americans picked up a cool $32 trillion in new net worth. $32 trillion, 125% of annual output in the United States, a new net worth in two short years. Wow. Now, of course, consumers are growing crazy. They are rich and they want to, if you will, spend some of that wealth on their current well-being. And they are out there like crazy, trying throwing money at everything in sight. Here's the funniest sentence I've ever heard to back up what you just said. Yeah. A friend of mine bought a new boat, yeah. as many people did, right? Oh, yeah. If and you he, told me, he told me a couple of months ago that he could actually sell it for a profit. Oh, and I said, I don't think that sentence has ever been uttered in mankind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that tells you a lot. Well, you know, what's interesting, too, is there's an old expression. It, you know, it's the simple it, you can get these complex mathematical models and it's just nonsense. The vast majority of good economics can be summed up in a couple sentences. Right. And you know what they say is inflation is the consequence of too much money chasing too few goods. Period. And that describes our nation to a T. And what's amazing to me is when clearly inflation is being driven by the excessive amount of demand, you have a a crew of supposedly very bright economists, or at least people who interact with very bright economists in the case of Jerome Powell, but or Janet Yellen or or any of these folks, the people on the board, and what do they say? Oh, it's being caused by oil prices. No, it's it's because of grain. No, it's it's because of supply chain problems. No, 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 no. It doesn't okay. work that way. Take, for example, gas prices. Everybody's angry. Everybody's upset about gas prices. But to be clear, for all the enormous increase in gas prices we've seen over the last year, do you know how much vehicle miles driven has declined? Probably Zero. Very little. None at all. None at all. It hasn't declined a bit. <laughs> so if gas prices are going through the roof and we aren't changing our behavior, 
it's pretty clear this is a demand situation, not a supply one. Okay. Now, I agree. The supply problems just get magnified in that kind of atmosphere. But you have to start with the basic idea. This is driven by the demand curve, not the supply curve. But of course, no one in politics wants to say that out loud. No one ever got reelected saying to their constituents, oh, by the way, you're overspending and you're not as rich as you think you are. Okay, well, that brings up. Obviously, I, I never I never get to follow what I and I and it's great because I listen to what you're saying and go, OK, well, that's that's an interesting point. The 70s inflation. Let's yeah. let's run back to that and tell Beautiful. me Love tell that. me what was different about that, because that was kind of an astonishing time to enter the world of real estate. I, I bought something in the early, you know, like 73 yeah. and it naturally went up, had nothing to do with me. And then I bought some more stuff and it went up. And if I had been a renter, my outcome would have been very different. Right. Yeah. So, so to own an asset during that stretch, but you know, what was really interesting looking at those charts over the years was interest rates went from 17, I'm sorry, seven and a half to 15 in about eight years and prices during that journey tripled. So that's why, you know, when you hear people say, well, you know, if interest rates go up, it's going to kill prices. Well, you know, there's a history, the opposite of that too. So let's make sure we okay. get the whole story. That, that, first, okay. That was, that was, wow. You just opened it. You just opened an entire book. So sit back for a second. Okay. No, I'm excited. <laughs> it's great. I'm I love it. It's a, it's a great question. Okay. First of all, seventies is our best template for what's going on right now. Although we got to be cautious because it's slightly different. The 70s um, was kicked off when Nixon took the United States out of the Bretton Woods system. We went right. to a global fiat standard and the Federal Reserve, which for the first time had true monetary independence, because before that they had largely been, of course, maintaining a value of the price of gold. That's what they had to do. Now they had options. You could do what you want. And they immediately started overdoing it. They were printing money too rapidly. Now, what's interesting is about that, it was year after year after year, printing a little too much, a little too much, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. This time around, it's a little different because Jerome Powell didn't come in and basically turn on the hose a little too high. Rather, what he did was dump about uh, about 17 Olympic-sized pools of, of, of money into the middle of the economy in two years. So it's modestly different, right? I mean, actual M1 has not been growing spectacularly. This is all about the bond buying programs have been and all the money that they've injected into w M2. So, so you already see that it's a little different, but the consequences of inflation are, are the same. And yes, the net result of that is going to be prices and interest rates going up. Now, here's the one thing I want to... Uh, basically, this is, this is where you got to separate what I would call real from nominal. When you said interest rates went from 7% to 15%, you have to account for inflation. Correct. Because that's the real Correct. interest rate. And when it was 7%, the inflation rate was 8%. And real interest rates were negative 1%. Right. And then Volcker came in, stopped printing M1 so rapidly. That's how he fixed it. He didn't, there was no quantitative easing. There was no balance sheet at the Fed. They simply stopped printing M1 at the same rapid pace and sat back and waited for a couple of years until that had a sufficient impact on M2 to bring down inflation. Well, 
yes, when you did that, the federal funds rate immediately went to 20%. Interest rates started to go up because there was, wasn't enough cash in the economy. At the same time, inflation started to slow down. And so you went from a, a real interest rate of like negative 1% to a real interest rate of 8 or 9%. Mm-hmm. And therein is where, if you will, the cooling of the economy begins. That is when you're pulling, pouring cold water on the excesses of the economy. And yes, you diminish demand, thus you diminish inflationary pressures on the economy. And in that case, it was a long, painful process. And what's interesting about that is you have to, again, think about the stories and the narratives and the political pressures that were being exerted. Volcker came in and did the right thing. By the way, who hired Volcker? Jimmy Carter. By the way, it should be pointed out that if you take a step back and look at history objectively, Jimmy Carter almost assuredly was one of the best presidents we've had in the last 60, 70 years, which I realize people are like, what? God, the peanut farmer was a joke. First of all, he wasn't a peanut farmer. He was a nuclear engineer. (laughs) He had a PhD in nuclear physics, which he got through the Navy. The man ran nuclear submarines. He was not a peanut farmer, okay? (laughs) And the second thing is he's a guy who inherited inflation from Ford and Nixon and realized he had to do something about it. And he hired Volcker, who did the right thing, and lost Jimmy Carter's job. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and what's amazing is the story we have told ourselves is, oh, Reagan came in and saved any, everything. Nonsense. Reagan came in and basically free rode on getting inflation out of the system. The 70s was a lost decade. Real growth was, was awful over the course of the 70s. Part of that was deindustrialization, but the real problem was inflation. Because look, one of the big misunderstandings about inflation, everybody says inflation hurts consumers. No, that's no. Consumers are pushing inflation. You have to start there. Demand is pushing inflation. The problem with inflation is it's like, it's like the economy moves into a massive fog bank. You can't see. You can't see ahead. You can't see behind. How do you invest? How do you plan? How do you save? Hey, take, take an industrial uh, uh, developer. It's four years from beginning to end. That mm-hmm. means in four years, you have to have a rough idea of your cost of capital, your cost of labor, your cost of materials, the kind of demand there might be. In the midst of that fog bank, those, those entry points are almost impossible to predict. Thus, you make a lot of bad investments and, and investments that don't happen at all. That's right. You just don't do it. And the economy just goes... So you get rid of inflation, you take the tough period, you get through the uh, recession that inevitably follows, and boom, the economy wakes up, the fog bank is gone. I can see clearly now. That, anyway, you get my point. Um, <laughs> the, the net result of this, of course, is the economy took off and we had an amazing 1980s because we got over, we, we recovered from the 1970s. It wasn't because Reagan was a genius. Reagan was a, a slightly addled B-rate actor <laughs> who had a minimal legacy as governor of California, but he looked good and he had a nice hair. So, you know, in American you, politics, that may be sufficient. The value of the dollar went through a lot of gymnastics in the, in the seventies and then in the late seventies and eighties, it just took off. Seventies, eighties. Oh, it went down. But in the the beginning of the eighties, it took off. 
And right. then the real eight to 80 went crazy. 85. Yeah. 85. And then they had some accord and they sat down and then they settled it down again. There's still a lot of mysteries around that. Um, we don't, I mean, part of it had to be America as the safe haven, America as the reserve currency of the world. The early eighties was a turbulent time in the globe. Um, we had our problems in the 70s. We, we shrugged them off, 81, 82. But the early 80s was we had a horrible problem in Latin America. There was a lot of inflation kicking around Europe. Uh, early 80s was globally a mess. And a lot of people were putting money in the United States. By the way, that's what's going on right now. What's most amazing about the place we're in economically is, you know, we have uh, we have at this national level, 7 8% uh, annual inflation rate, a 10-year bond is at 3%. We have a 5% of GDP trade deficit. Everything I just said tells you that the dollar should be going down. And it's not, it's going up. It's appreciating. In fact, relative to some currencies, the euro, the yen, uh, the pound, the dollar is crazy high for no reason. But again, you have to think that the global uncertainty uh, is pushing people to the U.S., is causing people to ignore the problems here. They don't seem to be cognizant of the economic realities here, but that's part of narratives, right? Now, a strong dollar does what for inflationary tendencies? It actually is probably diminishing it at some level, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, because it's making it cheaper for us to buy stuff overseas. Does but it cause inflation for them? What's that? Does it cause inflation for them since? No, uh, no, 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 not at all. No, inflation is a global phenomenon right now, largely because most of the world overdid it. Right. Look, the, the European Union engaged in quantitative easing for no particular reason, not as aggressively as we did. The UK, lots of quantitative easing, not as aggressive as us. But basically, this was kind of a standard practice among central bankers. And as a result of that, we do have global inflation. The worldwide money supply has increased at a dramatic pace, and ergo prices have to catch up. It's as simple as that. Okay. I just had a thought, and it slipped my brain. That's not good. Um, in my life. When we have, we kind of have that 70s where the, that was a long, that was a long decade of inflation. Like you said, that was sort of like never solved until Volcker. So you had about eight years of stuff that we've had 12 months of, and we're freaking out. That was like eight years oh, of it. Can I, can I go the next step on you on that? Yeah, I, sure. I, I, I pick up the paper and, or I, I turn on my internet and the headlines we're seeing coming out of papers today, make me want to throw my computer across the room. I mean, how many articles say something up? Americans are being crushed by inflation. Americans being pushed to the brink by inflation. Listen, there's no doubt that some people are suffering, right? We know that. But for every person suffering, there's an, there's four other households out there spending, trying to spend every penny they make <laughs> over the last couple of years. And it's a preposterous assertion. But even goes so silly as to let's 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 take this in context. Um Yes, we've had one year of inflation on top of, by the way, four years of very low inflation. Remember, we were worried about why prices weren't going up rapidly enough. Right. Um, over the last five years, Americans have seen about 15% inflation in five years. So about 3% per year, okay? Just all stacked in, in one year. <laughs> yeah. In, in 1979, Americans have been through 53% inflation 
in five years. Yes. 53. We're at 15. They were at 53. Right. And this goes back to, I think, what worries me the most about where the U.S. is right now. Um, if you said to me, Chris, what scares you the most about our economy today? It's consumer, the Consumer Sentiment Survey. University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey has been dropping like a rock. It is now, right now, where it was in 2008. Wow. Now, let's, let's put this in context. In 2008, in the midst of the Great Recession, there were five people looking for a job for every job opening. Today, there are two job openings for everybody looking for a job. Back then, earnings were falling. Today, earnings are at a 30-year high pace of increase. Back then, home prices were falling. Today, they're increasing. Back then, net worth was falling. Today, it's gone up by $32 trillion. In other words, from any objective standpoint, you look at the data, the, Fed, the financial obligation ratio, what we've really seen in terms of price increases over the last five years, and you go, wow, Americans outside of the federal debt are the most prosperous they've ever been. The opportunities available to American workers are better than they've ever been. We should be having parades. <laughs> and we're not. We're angry. Right. Everybody is angry, Bruce. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.